Thank you for listening to the Content Magazine Podcast. Conversations with Silicon Valley's Creatives, published by SV Creates. Today's host is David Valdespino, the Content Magazine Director. All right, welcome to the Content Magazine Podcast. My name is David Valdespino Jr., and we are on site at Pamela Walsh Gallery talking to owner Pamela Walsh. How are you doing today, Pamela? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, well, thanks for having us uh, on this nice Tuesday here. Um, and thanks for visiting. Yeah, yeah. And so you're down in downtown Palo Alto on Ramona, um, and you've been here since 2019. Is that correct? That's right. November 2019. And what kind of drew you to, to Palo Alto here for, for this gallery space? You know, I had worked in San Francisco for another gallerist for 20 years, And after um, deciding to go out on my own, I really looked around to think about, is there another location other than San Francisco that I felt was a market that wanted art, needed art, had maybe an absence of great gallery businesses? And um, I was very quickly uh, led to Palo Alto because not only had Pace Gallery opened here a few years prior, but I noticed that for the demographic, it seemed that there was a real absence of great art galleries here in downtown Palo Alto. Awesome. Awesome. And so um, what was that kind of research process like? You mentioned you were at a gallery in San Francisco. I'm sure you made a bunch of connections through through that time working there. Um, but were you familiar with other galleries that were in Palo Alto at the time? Did you kind of come out and do research and kind of see what other folks were doing? Or Yes, I mean, there were really um, only a few gallery operations going on, um, Pace, of course. You know, and if, <laughs> I can research that, but truth is they're operating at an incredibly high level of the art business. Totally. So it was more... Um, aspirational. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, Bryant Street Gallery has been operating here in Palo Alto for a very long time and I admire them and what they're doing and I had kind of taken a look at their business and then just looking around at the downtown area, um, the foot traffic and um, the proximity to Stanford University and just um, of course, also the affluence of the area. In the gallery business, it's always worked really well to be in an area where there are people who are wealthy enough to buy art. So that's a formula that was pretty easy to uh, discern. And then, um, you know, I also felt that Palo Alto's far enough away from San Francisco that it's work to get into the city with the traffic um, and that I felt very sure that if you have more access to art here, then people will patronize an art business here rather than making the effort to go up to San Francisco. And I also felt a strong sense of community in Palo Alto. Mm. There's sort of a pride in community and people like to patronize local businesses here. And so I thought it was a no brainer. I thought, why aren't more people doing this here? It just makes so much sense. Yeah. And um, you know, since then, several other gallery businesses have opened up here in Palo Alto. So um, you know, it's nice to have a little community of galleries. It always works well to have a synergy and have a place where people think, let's go see the galleries in Palo Alto. And so I welcome more. Awesome. 
Yeah, very cool. Well, zooming out, I guess, a little bit for audiences that might not be familiar with uh, galleries or, or private galleries in particular. Um, can you kind of share what you have going on at, at Pamela Walsh Gallery and, and kind of what you're providing for art purchasers, artists, and the community, you know? Sure. You know, one of the things that um, having uh, worked in another gallery space for many, many years, most of my adult life, um, I was coming out of that experience wondering at the time, 2017, um, do you really need space? Is space important? Could you be itinerant? Is it a smarter and more um, thoughtful business to be free of that because space is expensive and it anchors you in many ways? And um, I spent a couple of years working as a private art advisor. And what I found is that space is precious. Mm-hmm. And what space allows you is not only um, what artists really deeply desire, which is a place to exhibit art and put together meaningful exhibitions that really tell stories that you can't tell otherwise. Um, It also allows you to build community, build relationships with your community around you, with um, people who love art and want to commune with it, who want to commune with people together with art, with artists, I mean, the whole ecosystem survives because there are spaces, whether they're museums or galleries, um, it, nonprofits, it's important to have places where people can find art and be with art. And so, you know, fast forward to the pandemic, I think it became so evident to everyone that being in person with art is powerful. The screen negates a lot of the energy and emotion that you get to experience when you're in front of a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And so I felt so sure coming out of 2020 that I had made the right decision to open a space here. Um, That is a very long-winded answer, and I'm not even done yet. (laughs) Um, So what I'm doing here is working with artists to bring forward exhibitions that I feel are meaningful, connect us as humans to our human experience, to give voice to artists who have something interesting to say. One of the most wonderful things about an exhibition is that many times all of the works of art within that exhibition will never be together again. And together they tell a story that is compelling and without each part it just simply doesn't get told in the same way and many times because I am a gallery where I'm selling art and art goes out into places on their own they will never be together again to tell that story and it's not only impactful for people who love art and are seeking art in their lives but it's incredibly important for artists to get to tell those stories and as a gallerist, I'm deeply invested in that narrative. Mm -hmm. And so it allows me to conjure up these wonderful stories that mean something to people and, um, and then also help elevate the artists who are making the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I get the sense of, you know, that kind of curation that goes into curating the space and and having those pieces that can kind of communicate with each other on the walls and to the people that come in. Um, What is that process for you of like finding artists that may have a place 
in Pamela Walsh Gallery and may speak to the community here. Um, is it something where you're going to studios? Are you meeting with the artist in person? Are you and, and how does that research start? I mean, that's the part to me that I think um, sometimes is misunderstood in that real gallerists are artists. And I went to art school, I studied fine art and art history, and I discovered that my art form was not creating art, but bringing people to art and telling those stories and being that conduit for these artistic expressions and the community that needs to engage with them. And so um, part of the real fun for me is to help develop that exhibition to see something and to see something that I feel is powerful and um, give breath to it and to give the confidence to artists who might be a little unsure of whether or not this is going to work, mm-hmm. um, give them that wind beneath their wings to say, no, this is great. Let's run with this. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes an exhibition is very clearly thought through from inception and it's a little tighter in terms of putting it out into the gallery world because the artist has made it with the intention that it will live together in an exhibition space and sometimes it's something i'm really creating and i can see a few parts and i ask the artist to dig deeper make more Um, sometimes we come up with a show theme together sometimes it's already in their mind and sometimes it's just me coming up with an idea a mm-hmm. thread a through line for the work that i see happening and so um, it's a really fun and creative process um, it's something that i feel like is a great privilege to get to be creative in my daily life it feeds me intellectually and spiritually because Really, at heart, I'm a creative, Mm -hmm. um, doing something that many people, I think, don't think is more than owning a business, and that's okay, because I don't need to be the star of the show, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very gratifying to put forward an exhibition that I feel like changes people. They see something they didn't see before, um, and changes artists and their trajectory, where they feel that they've had an opportunity to be heard, be seen, and um, as a gallerist, that's the greatest pleasure. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that um, interplay between the work on the walls um, is like a key factor for people that come in and maybe interested in purchasing art? Like, is that is that whole experience what inspires somebody to want to purchase a piece of art? Right? Because Absolutely. Like, it's like the curation is paramount, and I want people to always walk into my gallery and feel like it's seamless. Like it was meant to look exactly like that. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I fuss endlessly. (laughs) I probably make my amazing gallery manager, Chelsea Stewart, completely crazy because I'll rethink a wall over and over again. And she's infinitely patient to continue to move things around until I feel it's right. Because Mm -hmm. there is a dialoguing amongst works of art that is something you can't really perfectly plan until they're in the space together. Mm-hmm. You can really think it through and spatially feel like you know you have enough art and you think you know where things are going to go. And then art has a life and a voice and an energy that is 
completely different in person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes works of art fight each other. Sometimes they um, are synergistic together. And my job is to find the best way to present them. And sometimes you can put two great works of art side by side that look really bad together. And it makes both of them fail in some way. Um, and so finding these moments where the art really um, flows from one piece to the next and that there is some sort of synergy amongst those works is um, really the curation. And it's a lot of fun for me. Sometimes it's a little maddening, but sometimes um, when it comes together and you see this magic moment, you're like, oh, that's exactly what I was hoping it would look like. Mm -hmm. And I think I never underestimate how wonderful it is for an artist to walk into a gallery and see their exhibition. Every single time their eyes light up because these works of art have been living in their studios, have been living in stacks, never on white walls with bright light and perfectly spaced. Um, and it is magical. It's magical to see that artwork all together and really also to experience how somebody else sees the work play together. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's almost seeing their own work through someone else's eyes mm -hmm. and seeing the appreciation that someone else has for the work and that they have visualized it in a way that maybe hadn't occurred to them. And it's incredibly fun to watch. I always pause when an artist comes into their exhibition and sort of drink in that moment where they are getting to see their work anew. It's really special. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, curators kind of live in that really interesting place of kind of like between the pages, right? Like you have the audience on one side and then you have the artist on the other. Um, I guess I'm curious, like in a private gallery space where people are purchasing art, um, what are some questions you get from people that are interested in buying art, right? Like what are, what are people interested in knowing about the pieces that may help them better understand and, and kind of create that connection to the piece? I think people always want to know the inspiration. I think they're more interested in artistic practice than they know. Um, I think a lot of people don't know what artistic practice is exactly. So as a gallerist, one of my favorite things to explore is artistic practice. And sometimes an exhibition is really just about that. Um, and so when somebody connects with a work of art, they want to know, well, you know, what were they thinking? What, 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 were, what was inspiring them? How did they make this? How long did it take? People always love to ask that question. Um, and so getting to unveil some of that mystery deepens their meaning. It, if they love the piece of art already, then almost anything you say helps to engage them further. Mm -hmm. um, but it is also really fun to help somebody engage with a work of art that they're not sure about yet because they then find out the meanings behind it, the thought process behind it, and you can see them start getting really excited because they thought they liked it and now they know they like it. Um, so that's some of the fun that I get to have with helping people find art. Mm -hmm. The other thing about sort of, I, I like how you said this is I'm sort of the in-between. I am sort of the secret in-between mm -hmm. because 
the artist is the star and the artwork is the star and you really want people to come in and engage and get excited with the work and when people buy art it is nothing short of a miracle i mean <laughs> so many things have to align for someone to buy a work of art mm -hmm. and it is the ultimate compliment to an artist that somebody would pay their hard-earned money and purchase a work of art and live with the work of art that that person made it mm -hmm. really is something incredible for the artist to experience mm -hmm. um, and what i try to help people who are collecting art understand is that everybody has visual language and that when they are connecting with a work of art it is in some way hitting parts of their visual language mm -hmm. whether it's the shapes the colors the textures the subjects all of those things are part of visual language mm -hmm. um, maybe it connects them in some way to their journey to their memories to their past and for whatever reason they feel drawn to that and so what a lot of people don't understand about buying a work of art it is a very reflective and introspective process mm -hmm. and ultimately when you buy a work of art it says something about who you are and i think that is then um in a way a relief for people buying art because it makes it seem a little bit easier mm -hmm. than trying to figure out the calculation that I feel like a lot of people are trying to figure out, which is what is the right piece of art to buy. Mm -hmm. And when you release them of all of the difficulty of an equation of the right piece of art to buy and let them know that as long as it's right for them, it's the right piece of art, mm -hmm. um, then they get to really relax and enjoy the process. And it should be fun. Buying art is a great luxury. Mm -hmm. So it should be experiential, it should be meaningful, it should be exciting and fun. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like art and business kind of can be at odds sometimes. Um, I know the kind of trope is that artists aren't always good at business and business people aren't always good at art, right? Um, but how do, how do you kind of figure that as like a curator and a gallery owner, like, I guess deciding what will sell, right? Or like what is quality or value for something that it obviously is valuable to the person that's creating it because they're spending a ton of time on it, whether they know how to sell it or get it into a gallery or, or anything like that. But like what what's kind of your process in, um, and yeah, kind of kind of merging those two worlds of, of art and business, right? Because I, I was reading something else that um, uh, you had done an interview um, online and it was talking about like the mysteries of the art business, right? So like what makes the art business mysterious and how do you try to um, make it simpler for, for folks? You know, the financial equation of the art business is really a mystery. <laughs> and I think that's why people love to hear about Larry Gagosian and what he's done with the art business, which is next level. I mean, he's really a tastemaker. Um, and I think there is some there are aspects of the art world that aren't just about great art and great expression but it is also commerce and i am in business here and i have to sell art in order to stay in business so you walk a line between um i think putting forward artwork that people want to buy you know and and works that 
probably belong in institutions. I like to say some artwork mm. should be institutionalized. And I mean that in a, a wonderful way, which is that, um, you know, some art you might want to see in an, uh, a museum setting and you might want to understand the heaviness of the subject matter because it might be relevant to pressing issues of today, but it may not be what you want in your living room. Mm -hmm. And those are different things. So as a dealer, I really try to think about diversity. I try to think about bringing in lots of different artistic expressions. I like to be a little undefined. I don't want people to think, oh yeah, she's the gallery in Palo Alto who does landscapes or you know, she's the gallerist who only shows this type of art. Mm -hmm. um, I want to keep it fresh and exciting because I want people to continue to wonder what might be next. Um, that means that sometimes I do things that are more challenging than others. Um, and that in turn means that some things are more financially successful than others. Mm -hmm. And I think that aligns in many ways with how museums tend to schedule their shows. Mm -hmm. I think that everybody knows that a museum show that has the word Picasso in it <laughs> might be a little bit more of a crowd pleaser than you know a contemporary artist who is not a household name. But they kind of have to do some of the former to do the latter. Mm -hmm. And so as a dealer, I think through the same sorts of things, um, you know, bringing into the gallery art and artists that I feel um, is palatable and that I can imagine people really loving and wanting in their home. And then artwork that's more challenging, but is interesting and intellectual. And, um, you know, there's really an audience for just about everything. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I think that's great insight into Pamela Walsh of the gallery, right? Um, but I guess you're taking more steps back. So Pamela Walsh has the person, right? So you, you have the gallery. It's named after yourself. Um, I was doing some research also, So you, and you mentioned also, too. Um, so you studied fine art in college. Um, you were a painter initially. Um, can you tell me about what that experience was like, um, studying art with the hopes of being a painter and like kind of that curriculum and maybe how that's kind of inspired your, your trajectory a little bit? Sure. Um, I think it influences me every single day. Um, and I think it helps me connect with artists on a very different level because I know what it means to create. I mean, I first should say that I'm incredibly grateful and indebted to my parents who let me go to university to study art. It's an incredible luxury, really, um, because my parents didn't come from that. They were chemical engineer and a physical therapist, which is a pretty straight road in terms of education to career. And they allowed me to take a chance and they believed in me enough to try something that is very romantic, to get to learn about art, to study at university, um, something that may not be a career at all. And I don't want to age myself too much, but when I went to school, there weren't programs of you know curatorial practice or museum studies it was more just fine art or art history and um you know when i and i went to indiana university which had a really great fine arts program they're mostly known for music 
Um, but they had undergraduate and graduate programs um, in fine arts, which was wonderful for me as an undergrad because I got to see graduate students who are much further along in their journey. And it was really impactful as an undergrad. I'd go to graduate critiques. We weren't allowed to say anything, but we could listen. A lot of them were brutal. Um, and it was amazing to see these artists who had developed their voice so much further along and um, were really sure of where they were going as artists. Um, I was not sure where I was going as an artist. Um, I had small amounts of talent as a studio painter, but I didn't like the practice. The practice to me was very lonely. And if you think about how an artist typically spends their time, it's very solitary. And I knew quickly into this um, journey that I was on that it wasn't for me. Because if you don't like being alone, you're probably not going to be happy in your studio. Because that's where you spend most of your time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started to put together different sessions for students, modeling sessions where we could go and have a live model, um, small exhibitions of student work. Um, I worked at um, a gallery in Bloomington for a little while, got a little bit of a taste of that, and very quickly realized that was my path. And I really wanted to be in the, the, the gallery business. Mm -hmm. I knew that when I was an undergrad, but I finished my degree in studio art and um, art history. And I think that what they really allow me to do is understand deeply what it means to be an artist alone in your studio creating and digging into the depths of your person and finding these expressions that you feel compelled to investigate and then sharing it with people, which is incredibly brave. It's much braver than what I've ever done. And um, I think that it's a great privilege to get to help artists bring forward those works that are so precious, created on their own in their space and give them life out in the public space. Um, and so it's, um, and I, and I, after college, I quickly moved to California knowing that I wanted an opportunity to be in a bigger art market where I could work in a gallery setting and, um, so it was a journey that I needed to be on, and I, I'm glad that I got to do it. Mm -hmm. two, two paths of thought. but um, So I guess zooming out further, and then we can zoom back in. Um, so what was your interest in art initially, right? Like you talk about your parents being in science fields. Um, what, was it, what was it like growing up and like finding that interest in art? Or when, when did you kind of realize or know that you wanted to pursue that in college and beyond? You know, it really didn't start for me until I was in high school. And a lot of artists will say, I always knew I was an artist. Um, when, and, and I didn't always know. Uh, I think that when I was in high school, I began to take more serious interest in creating. And I had a high school teacher who really encouraged me and she encouraged me so much that she got me to put together a portfolio and enter that portfolio into um, a, an art school program in the Smoky Mountains that I went to. Um, I grew up in Tennessee, and um, 
the summer after my senior year, I went and did this art school program in the Smokies. And I was there with a lot of adults who were working artists. And that was really impactful for me. And then I went to uh, university, not necessarily thinking I was going to become an artist. And I just was becoming educated. And I met somebody along the way my freshman year who was a friend of mine. And he said to me, well, if you really love art, why aren't you majoring in it? And I was struck by that. And I realized that he was absolutely right. Why am I not doing that? Um, And so I just went for it. And I decided to become an art major and study that. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I did. It's become one of the pivotal moments of my life and really informed me in so many ways in my professional life. Mm -hmm. Now, I like to say that I have been a student of art and a student of the art business for many more years than I was a student in university. Mm -hmm. And I will always be a student of the business and I will always be a student of art. It's infinite. You can never stop learning. Mm -hmm. People always ask me, oh, do you know about this artist? No, I don't actually. (laughs) I mean, after 25 years in the business, it's endless. You can never know every artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and how wonderful. I mean, what if you, at this point in your life, knew everything? And um, now, of course, as a business owner, it's also an incredibly steep learning curve of being a business owner. And truthfully, I love business. If I had gone back to do anything else in school, I probably would have majored in business because I find it to be you know, so incredibly fun to put this puzzle together and think, you know, ooh, let's try this. Can we make it work? And how exhilarating it is when it works. And um, I, you know, would certainly, if I were to go back and get to do any studying, I probably would do some business as well. Um, So both things really like check the box for me intellectually and Passion, my passion is really there. Anything I do outside of my business is all art related. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids probably go crazy because everywhere I go and everything I do, I'm thinking, oh, let's go look at this or <laughs> I, this, this, this might be interesting um, because it's just what makes me tick. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've done a couple interviews with curators in different settings um, and something consistent that's been brought up is that idea of a puzzle, which is coming kind of different context. Um, but that idea that like each of these kind of pieces is just a piece of something much broader kind of going on and whether that's business or whether that's art or whatever that is. So it's very cool. So tying into, you know, your interest in business. So you graduate, you very quickly come to California, you know, you want to do something related to art. What, what did that what did that look like when you landed in California and you say, I'm going to figure out how to break into California art scene here? <laughs> it looked very hard to navigate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because um, I was only 22 and I had moved to a new state and I was here by myself and I didn't really know exactly how I was going to do that. And um, most of the time, true in most industries, in order to get experience, you need to have experience. And it's a bit of a catch-22 for everyone. So one of the things that I do now as a business owner is I love to give young people an opportunity to get experience. I actually have three interns working with me right now um, for that very reason, so that they have something to put on the resume to say, give me an opportunity, I've done this work, and I want a real 
try at it. Um, I moved to San Francisco and worked in, uh, I actually worked um, as a copier salesperson for one year because I came out here and I met a headhunter and she was going to help me get a job. And I told her what I wanted to do and she said, well, you have to learn how to sell. If you're going to be in the gallery business, you have to know how to sell things. And the hardest thing you can do is learn to sell copiers. <laughs> and so I got this job, which, you know, now I look back and I realize that there is no way I could have possibly made enough money to cover my cost of living here in <laughs> that job mm -hmm. in one year. But I was naive and just went for it. And um, so I did this awful job for a year in San Francisco, in the South of Market. They literally gave me zip codes and they said, go out and sell. And I just went around knocking on doors and it was awful. And um, so three quarters of the way into the year, I said, okay, I'm almost done here with my one year. I'm going to go find a gallery job. And I um, found a listing for a gallery job and I went in and pretty much begged them to let me work for them. And they gave me a chance. Now, of course, I was working on a draw against commission, so I was sort of almost paying to work there. Um, but it ended up becoming a career job for me, and I stayed there almost 20 years. Wow. So it was um, a great fit in so many ways. I met a dealer who became a mentor for me, and um, he was great at keeping me encouraged and um, engaged for so many years. He always gave me new levels to reach for so that I would stay. And um, I'm deeply grateful for that because he also really believed in me and taught me so much about the business. And even to this day, I look back and I realize uh, over the 20 years that I worked for him, I got to watch him build his business. And at one point when I was ready to go, he had three galleries in San Francisco and one in New York. It was a very big company and lots of employees. Um, I ran three locations. I had 25 salespeople working under me. And um, it now uh, has informed me about what my path will be as a gallerist mm -hmm. in that it's a lifelong journey. It takes a long time to build it, um, try to enjoy every moment of it along the way sometimes you feel like you need to grow faster, um, get better artists, have bigger exhibitions, um, be bigger in the world. And I realize in looking back at what he did, he built it slowly over many, many, many years and was very successful doing it. And when I get a little anxious about oh, I wish I was a little further along, you know, oh, I wish the pandemic hadn't hit and, you know, had been, you know, such a slow start because I opened four months before the shelter in place. Mm. Um, I realize now that it's all part of the journey and, um, you know, the journey is learning how to be. The journey is learning how to embrace those moments and enjoy the ride and expect the successes and the failures as part of that journey and um so it's it, it really worked out well for me that i had that long experience with him brilliant what's that person's name uh franklin bowles okay that's the name of the gallery awesome so you're coming from franklin bowles where you'd been working for 20 years 
Um, you wanted to open well you did your art advisory business from 2017 to 2019 mm-hmm. uh, and then in 2019 you opened Pamela Walsh Gallery realizing that you needed space or you were missing that kind of space that the brick and mortar location um, what were you hoping to bring to this space that made you want to open it yourself right like have your own because you'd worked at galleries for... How much for... time do we have? <laughs> because it's really a fascinating story. Yeah. You may not believe, but I was working as an art advisor, and this was when I sort of had thought that I didn't really want a space. Mm-hmm. Of course, think a little forward and realize that in 2020, if you didn't have a space and you didn't have anything going on, there were no art fairs, there were no exhibitions. As an art advisor, I mm. would have been absolutely freaking out because there there was nothing to offer mm-hmm. um, or at least nowhere to get together with your clients and, and see shows and go to fairs. Um, so, but it all happened very organically. Along my journey of being an art advisor, um, I reconnected with somebody who was a very good friend of Frank's who we had done some business together. His name is Michael Schwartz. He owned Gallery Michael on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. A wonderful man, someone who I enjoyed doing business with um, while I worked with Frank. And I had reconnected with him when I was down in Los Angeles as an art advisor. And we had um, just a really fast friendship. He saw something in me that he believed in. And we began working together. He really wanted me to go to LA and work with him. And it wasn't possible. I have two children and here in the Bay Area, it wasn't like I could just up and leave. Um, and so we started to put together shows that I took the East Coast curated exhibitions. I would bring them to galleries and we'd do a, a visiting show. Mm. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of our relationship. And fast forward, we decided to partner and we were going to open a gallery, a partnership gallery here in Palo Alto. He loved the idea. He thought it was great. Came up with Um, an investor at one point, we started looking at properties, we went all the way through having term sheets and we're going to do this business together. And um, just as we were beginning to settle on a location here in Palo Alto, he got very ill. Mm -hmm. And he came to me and said, I'm really sorry to do this and I think you won't understand at this moment, but I have to pull out of this. I can't do this with you because I don't want you to have to work with my estate. You can do this on your own. And it was a really hard moment Mm. for me because we had come so far and I had spent so much time and energy and money figuring out how this business was going to work. And um, I had to really think it through. Could I do it on my own? And um, I just decided to go for it. It was without a net because with Michael, it was with a big net. And um, we would be using the work of art, the works of art from his gallery. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead with the space I was trying to get, this space, and I really scrambled to try to find artists. It was a little bit of a reverse that probably some gallerists start out with, which is that they already have a handful of artists that they really are working with and maybe even as their representation, even without a space. And then it's a natural next step is to open a space and show that art. I didn't have that. And, um, so 
I was going to go forward anyway, and um, Michael was still gonna help me with the art. And we had planned that this is how we're gonna open the gallery. It's gonna be a big splash. We're gonna bring up an incredible exhibition of Picasso works in Palo Alto. That's gonna be my opening. And it was gonna be November, 2019. And guess what? Pace Gallery decided to do their five-year anniversary show of Picasso opening in October 2019. Wow. I nearly fell out of my chair <laughs> when I got the announcement via email. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This, this isn't happening. What do we do? I called Michael. We thought through it. Could it work? Maybe it's a piggyback. Maybe we do it anyway. And in the end, I, after thinking about it long and hard, realized that it just wasn't the right thing to do. And I had to just go, go it alone with contemporary artists. So I've had a lot of challenges along the way. And I think that I just want to round out that conversation by giving honor to Michael, who actually passed away in 2020. Wow. And um, he was a lovely, wonderful man. He was um, really somebody who believed in me in a way that was so powerful that it compelled me to do something that I was supposed to do. And I hope to return those gifts to someone in the future. Um, sometimes you meet just a couple of people along your path that are the people who change your course. And for whatever reason, he chose me. He was in his 80s when we were looking to partner. And um, how sad to have lost him. Um, but I think he left me with the greatest gift. And I often think about him and think about um, kind of bringing along his spirit with me because he had um, really done something kind for me. So I don't remember where this, this question began, but <laughs> that is how I ended up here doing this. And, um, and then I just decided that um, contemporary artists were really what I wanted to move forward with. Um, I had spent 20 years selling dead artists. And um, I decided that working with artists who are alive and creating is really fun and inspiring. And that's where I continue to see myself heading. Incredible. Great story. Yeah. Wow. Can't write it, right? <laughs> no, not Truth stranger all. than fiction. <laughs> and actually, the Picasso show for Pace was incredibly successful, and yeah. I think that is wonderful. So I won't say that it wouldn't be something I wouldn't do at some point in the future. I know the work backwards and forwards, but um, it wasn't quite the right thing at that moment. Brilliant. Wow. So moving on to now, right? So we've been you've been open for... It's 2023. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Um, so how have things grown from those early days and, and where are you moving to in the future and, and, and where, are you, where are you planning to be? You know, um, as I said uh, a little bit earlier, it was a slower start than I had hoped for because although I had really thought through all of the possible worst case scenarios, oh, yeah. <laughs> when I signed my lease in... July of 2019, I did not actually see a pandemic on the horizon, nor did I have any idea what it might look like if a pandemic were to hit 
I guess suffice to say most of us had no idea what it would look like. And um, so four months after I opened, we sheltered in place. Um, and it was a little <laughs> difficult to figure out what I might do with that. Um, not being able to be open, not being able to have exhibitions. Um, so it was a little slower start than I had hoped for. And part of what I had really hoped for was to be engaged with the ecosystem of the art community down here. And of course, all of that was really dampened during the pandemic and it's taken us a long time to come out of that. I can say that in just the last few months are the first exhibition openings I have had with no masked visitors. Mm -hmm. First time since 2020. Um, and so um, right now I'm really excited to be feeling freer to do the types of things that I want to do as a gallerist. Um, and um, excited to see that some of that is a, a little bit more limitless again, um, where um, during 2020, it was like having your hands tied behind your back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I am really excited to be um, doing my first open call um, for a, a show that I'm hoping to, well, I am planning to do next year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an exciting endeavor because it gives me an opportunity to look at a lot of artists that uh, I may not be engaged with already. Um, I am really excited to continue to work with females, um, partly because in the business that I grew up in and came up in, it was very male dominated. And um, so I had mentioned that I have three interns, they're all females. Um, and one of my missions as a business owner is to really mentor young women, bring them along and show them that there are opportunities in the art world that can be theirs. Um, and so that's uh, one of the things that I'm enjoying a lot. Um, and um, probably broadening a little bit my um, reach of being in more art markets. Um, you know, you kind of begin in your local area trying to get to know people and um, get to know all the, the moving parts of your art market. And then, you know, ultimately you reach out to other metropolitan areas. So that's on the horizon for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm having a ton of fun doing it. Awesome. So what can people, what can folks that are either coming to the gallery or coming to Palo Alto, you know, to experience art, right? Like what, what can people expect of the Palo Alto scene? And then what can people expect as, as they're coming into your gallery is over the next six, eight, 10, 12 yeah. months, I probably plan way out. So. Um, you know, I'm now finally um, in a, a better groove of scheduling um, my exhibitions, um, you know, coming out of 2020 and even into 2021, it was really touch and go, you know, because there were so many pullbacks, it was hard to know if you could host an exhibition, if people would come. Um, so now I think, all right, great. We're, we're, we're onward and upward. And now we can really plan out our schedule. I have, um, two shows this fall, which I'm really excited about. 
Um, the first one is opening up after Labor Day on September 9th for Don Scott McDonald. Um, he is a painter out of Colorado, and he does atmospheric renderings that are exquisite, beautiful oil on canvas, um, really incredible technique. Um, then a show in October for Brooklyn-based artist Miles Bennett, who works with deconstruction of canvas. And his works are so innovative. Um, instead of using canvas as a substrate, he's really using canvas as a material and figuring out what the limitations are and seeing how far he can push it. Really fun to work with him. Um, you know, all the artists that I work with, to me, it's incredibly important to have a synergistic relationship and to feel that I can encourage them and that they can be free to be their fullest artist and have their fullest expression. So both of those artists have big shows coming up. And then um, at the end of the year, each year, I really round out the year because it falls around an anniversary time. I use that as a bit of an anniversary celebration. So this will be my fourth anniversary celebration in December. And um, we'll also be a group show honoring the artists who I have been working with over the past year. Um, it's a really fun time for each of those artists to do something new and to bring that forward and also to come and celebrate with me because every year that passes is a reason to celebrate. Um, so those are some things in the near future that I'm working on. And I already have a very full exhibition schedule for um, 2024. So um, that's ultimately how you want it to be go. Um, my old gallery that I worked for, we used to plan 18 months in advance. And a goal for me is to be that far out, um, really working um, on exhibitions as far out as 18 months. Um, it's just, um, you know, kind of getting your, your foothold in that type of scheduling takes a little bit of time. And we're a small team here. Awesome. How are we doing on time? Uh, good. 40, 49.26. Perfect. Cool. So for folks that are listening may not know, um, so this interview is going to be used for the article that's going to be featured in the next issue of Content Magazine. Um, I'll be writing it. I do my interviews pretty standardly. Um, one of the questions that I really like to ask, well, there's two, but usually one kind of holds people over, but is there anything that you wish that I had asked you during this podcast? Um, hmm. No, really. I mean, <laughs> I suppose, you know, no, I really can't think of anything that, that you could have asked me that I might have answered more in depth I, I mean I think you really hit <laughs> you hit all the points yeah no I, I usually get a mixed my bag astrological of... sign maybe <laughs> or you know what my favorite food is no. <laughs> so then the follow-up because you know that's pretty common folks will be like what um so call out to Nardwar one of my favorite interviewers on YouTube folks might know him um but he always asks in his interviews why should people care about Pamela Walsh gallery and Pamela Walsh as a person yeah, I think that's a great question. I think Oprah usually asks, you know, a poignant question at the end of her interviews. Um, I'm glad you didn't ask me Oprah's question because I would have been a little bit stumped by that. Um, I think that, you know, more and more we realize that we are in this landscape of mega galleries and really small galleries. 
and that medium-sized galleries are less and less to be found and that the small gallery is critical for the ecosystem of the art world. Um, you know, I guess you could liken it to, you know, seedlings um, being planted in the earth and they're just as important as established vines or um, trees that are fruitful every year. Um, you know, very often these new talents are being discovered by small gallerists who can only hold on for so long because sometimes an artist's trajectory is into the stratosphere, you know, before you can even, you know, catch the tail of that shooting star. Um, but it's, in, it's essential for those gallerists to be out there doing the hard work of finding those artists and seeing something precious and giving them that first show, giving them that start. And that's what I'm doing. Um, sure, I aspire to be on the level of a David Zwerner or um, even a Jessica Silverman, one of my heroes in the San Francisco art world, but she is working at a much higher level in the business than I am, um, as is David. Um, but it's something that I realize I'm working toward and at the same time bringing forward artists who aren't getting an opportunity with them either. And that what we're doing together is really important. Um, it's important for the art community. It's important for encouraging artists to, and giving them an opportunity to start. I've had a number of shows here in the gallery that were not only um, the first show for that artist in my gallery, but their first show anywhere. And um, I think that that is why people should be excited to support a, a business like mine because I think it takes a lot of courage to step out with an artist who has no track record and say, I stake my claim on this. You know, I'm willing to give this person a shot. Um, you know, I'm willing to say to the world, this art is good and worth taking a look at. And, um, you know, I think that it's as important as the work being done in the studios, um, giving these people an opportunity. Um, and I also think that maybe more importantly in the Bay Area, continuing that drumbeat of art in our culture around us is so important. I think that there's always lots of talk about the tech world in the Bay Area and, you know, how it's so dominant and is there still room for creatives, musicians, poets, dancers, visual artists. And I am really proud of the group of gallerists who are working right now in the Bay Area, many of whom are women, many of whom are, um, you know, around my age and came up through the business very male dominated and are doing incredible things in the business with artists, whether they be Bay Area artists or outside of the Bay Area to bring forward this artwork that ultimately, hopefully will be picked up and taken into the higher levels of the art business. Um, but we're the ones farming those seedlings. We're the ones who are nurturing and giving opportunity for that. So, um, 
I really encourage people to support art in their local area because if you want to have those businesses, you have to support those businesses. And um, it's interesting because there's always a little bit of a heartbreak for people when a business closes. Everybody feels it a little bit. And I often hear people say, oh, you know, that's too bad. Even with Pace closing here in Palo Alto, ah, well, you have to support that business if you want them here. Mm -hmm. And so I think all the time when people say that, well, here's your opportunity to support other people doing the same type of business. And um, that means you have to show up and you have to support the art and the the artists who are making it and um, the gallerists who are putting it forward. So I hope that's a compelling enough reason. And we try to put on a good show. So it should be also a fun time when people get to come and commune with art and have a, a little bit of a moment um, to feed their soul and hopefully walk away a little richer for it. Awesome. Well, Pamela, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you in your own space. Um, super fun. Um, if people are looking for more information on Pamela Walsh Gallery, where can they find it? Website, Instagram, anything like we that? We have a website, which is PamelaWalshGallery.com. We have a very active Instagram, Pamela Walsh Gallery, and um, we try to keep both very current and full of information, and um, we're excited to have people follow and um, join us in all of those endeavors. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Pamela. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for coming. Yeah. It's great to have you here. Yeah, awesome. Cool. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Content Magazine podcast. Follow us on social media at Content Mag. Become a member and help us to continue to tell the stories of the South Bay creatives. This episode's music is 408 by Jack Pavlina. Follow him on Spotify and also on his Instagram at Jack Pavlina Music.